Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. So you try to use a combination of, of everything. Your experience, the numbers. I mean, sometimes the numbers don't lie. And sometimes the numbers do lie. Today's show is brought to you by Roy's Umbrella for all of your home loan needs. Folks, interest rates are very, very low. Be sure to start your loan process as soon as possible because I'm telling you, the delays are coming as it pertains to turnaround time. At Roy's Umbrella, there's no nonsense, no tricks, no hidden charges at the end. Just go to roysumbrella.com. My guest today played 19 years in the bigs, began his career in 1968 with the Atlanta Braves, won pennants in 77 and 78 with the Dodgers, a World Series in 81, 23 years as big league manager, getting ready to start his second season with the Houston Astros. That is, that's a lot of toothpicks, Dusty Baker. It's great to have you on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, sure is. The only thing is, I wasn't doing toothpicks the whole time. I've probably been the toothpicks the last 15 years or so. Dusty, take me back to Del Campo High School, your youth. Oh, wow. People tell me that you are, to this day, people still think you're the greatest athlete to come out of Sacramento. Around what age was it, Dusty, where you thought that, wow, maybe I can be in the big leagues? Well, actually, I'd had that dream since I was a kid, you know, when I was a little skinny kid that, that had speed, you know, you know, some ability to play most sports, except I, I wasn't very strong. I mean, I, I hated to even go to the weight room because, you know, all the guys that I could beat in other sports were, were killing me in the weight room. And, you know, I was I was a late bloomer and a slow developer. I mean, I was actually the last guy, you know. You know, with hair under my arms and hair on my face. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, you know, I was one of those kind of kids. That, and my dad was the same way and my son's the same way. You know, Del Campo High School was was a, a bit of a trip because I came from Riverside, California, where it was, it was mostly very integrated with blacks, Mexicans, and and white kids and a few, you know, Japanese and Chinese kids. And then when I was going into my junior year when my dad's job got transferred. To, to Sacramento and I was one of the saddest days of my life at that time because I thought I was trying to be you know Bobby Bonds who was a local hero and in Riverside I played all sports to try to be like Bobby and so you know Barry's father so we moved to Sacramento my dad moved into an area where we're the only black family in the in the in Carmichael and and the surrounding city so it was a little it was a little uh uh 
you know, difficult playing against, you know, the uh, the white schools in our district, and it was difficult playing against the black schools in the downtown district. So I was kind of, you know, caught in the middle. Uh, you know, it taught me how to get along with people. It taught me how to be tough at the same time. And, you know, I learned a lot about life at that time. And so, you know, half the time, you know, guys are saying, oh, you're running, you know, you run so fast. I was running for my life half the time. So <laughs> it was, uh, you know, all these things, you know, contributed to, to the way I am now. You mentioned that, and I'm wondering how much that prepared you for ending up in Atlanta. Obviously, in the late 60s, you were on deck, as everyone knows, when Henry Aaron hit 715. And I'll never forget Vin Scully. He said, what a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the Deep South. What did you have to endure? What was that like being a black man in that time? At that time, I mean, you know, Carmichael didn't didn't prepare me for, you know, for that. You know, that was <laughs> right. <laughs> sure. I mean, you know, when I, you know, my first stop was in Little Rock, Arkansas, and they, they wouldn't let us off the bus, the black players off the bus to eat, and the white players had to get us our our meals for us. And, you know, I mean, I went from, you know, Haight-Ashbury and, and Berkeley, Sacramento, to the Deep South when, you know, there were freedom marches, there were riots, there was anti-Vietnam. And then during that, during that time also joined the Marines. And so, you know, which wasn't a very popular thing, but I had to join the Marines. I didn't have to, I could have joined the National Guard, but the National Guard was being called out, you know, on riots. And I'm like, no, I'm certainly not going to do that. And that's why I joined the Marines. But I prayed the night of the draft that I would not be drafted by the Atlanta Braves because I didn't want to go to the deep south because I had seen, you know, my parents were were leaders, especially in Riverside, the you know, NAACP, and I was in the junior NAACP. And so, you know, I was, you know, my dad got Ebony, CPA, got Jet Magazine. So my family was, was way up on the on the civil rights action and, and in the middle of it. And so it was like, Ooh, I, I really didn't want to go there, but Hank Aaron promised my mom that I'd be, he'd treat me, you know, like his son. And, and that's why my mom let me sign against my dad's, you know, permission. And, you know, we didn't speak for three years. I thought, you wow. know, that famous, I'm a man now I can do what I want. <laughs> that's incredible. And, yeah. And so I was, I was, uh, I was in a bit of a turmoil, like between that going to, uh, you know, the racial unrest that they'd gone in the South, uh, B- Vietnam, you know, peace and love. I mean, I was like, I was torn in a lot of directions, but that was the best thing that happened to me being around Hank Aaron. And, you know, during that time, you know, I got to meet some of the, some of the civic leaders of our, of our time. I didn't know how much history I was actually walking through when, when you're hanging with, you know, Jesse Jackson and Hank Aaron and Cecil Williams and, Andrew Young and Maynard Jackson and, uh, uh, you know, Jesse Jackson, Herman Russell, uh, Ted Abernathy. And, and finally, w- when Hank took me to the state house, it was right down the street from Atlanta, uh, Fulton County Stadium to go have lunch on a number of times with, you know, Jimmy Carter and his mom. And so that was something that I look back upon that I was very, very fortunate to, to have been born when I was born and also to go through the things that I was kind of forced to go through, but I, I figured I was one of the chosen ones from God. You know, the reason I was, I was in that situation. You know, that's fascinating to hear you talk about that. And if we fast forward to 2020, 
and what's going on in this country right now. And sports have really jumped, I think, to the forefront of bringing social justice issues uh, out into the forefront. But you've been through so much and you were through so much as you sit here in your early 70s. What's your take on what's going on now in this country as it relates to race? Well, I mean, you know, I see some of the same things, you know, I saw before, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's probably as much or more division than there, than there was, you know, before I'm telling you, I mean, in some ways we've made a lot of progress. You know, I see a bunch of commercials on TV. I remember when Jim Brown and Raquel Welch were in a love scene together, and that that was a big uproar. And or when that's right, when you know Sidney Portier was was in the guess who's coming to dinner, and, you know, which was me a couple of times. And so, but what I do see also are, are are interracial, you know, commercials. I mean, big time, you know. And then and then I I see the young kids that are that are protesting peacefully. You know, back in the day, most of the protests, were, you know, were you know, African-Americans and, and many times, you know, the white Americans were Jewish, Jewish descent. Now I see everybody out there, Native Americans, uh, Asians, you know, Indians, black, white, young, young people, old people. And so that gives me, uh, you know, some hope of the future that 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 the young people, I mean, it's going to be their time. And, and hopefully we can make some change, you know, for them. You know, I mean, I'm 70 years old, but I have a 21 year old son. Sure. And, you know, which which is right in his his mind. And then I also have a 10 month old grandson that's, you know, for my daughter. I mean, that's going to be, you know, his future life. So I'm just hoping that, you know, we can leave, uh, you know, a better world for them and they can remain together. And hopefully, you know, this separation that that has been caused you know, reunited and stay united and not just for a period of time. Before we talk about your days with the Dodgers, you mentioned Hank Aaron a couple of times. What was it like being around him every day? And what did you learn the most from him? Uh, Mostly I learned about, uh, you know, dignity and humility. You know, I've always told people that for years that the the most humble superstars that I've, I've been around probably, you know, were Sandy Koufax and, and Hank Aaron. But, I mean, internally, you know, they weren't humble, <laughs> they, you know, worth nothing. But externally, you know, they were they were tremendously humble. They didn't wear their, their fame and fortune on their sleeves. I learned, you know, from Hank and my dad, you know, when to, you know, pick your battles. But you also learn that as a man, you have an outer dignity and an inner dignity. And the outer dignity is what you take from your employer or from other people to, to, to feed your family and, and keep your job and save your job, but your inner dignity that no man, you know, has a right to protrude on that. And so you have to say, you know, damn life, live and your job and just figure out the Lord to take care of you, you know, some kind of way. And so this between him and my dad, I mean, these are the, probably the life lessons that I've learned and also from Hank, about, you know, try to do something, you know, to be an entrepreneur and put people to work and, and, and do something with your money. Just, just besides just sit around and count it, you know, try to 
try to do something productive in your life. You go from Atlanta to the Dodgers. There are stars all over the field, and the great Tommy Lasorda is the manager. I had Mickey Hatcher on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you laugh like I laugh because Mick, <laughs> Mickey, Mick, Mickey's one of a kind, that is for sure. <laughs> I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I enjoyed uh, his stories from his perspective being around Tommy. What was it like to play for Tommy Lasorda? Well, you know, actually, Tommy had tampered with me when I was with the Braves. Wow. And, uh, yeah, because, you know, he said, hey, man, you need to be on the Dodgers. And <laughs> I said, yeah, well, I know that. And, you know, when we played the Dodgers, they had the best uniforms. You know, they had the best bodies. They were pretty good-looking guys. And I was like, man, shoot. that's And they're all good athletes. And I'm like, well, heck, that's that's me, you know. I mean, that's where I should be. And so and my, and my hero wore number 12. Tommy Davis, I grew up in Southern Cal. He was my hero on the baseball field. And so next thing I know, the next year, you know, they traded for me. And, uh, you know, I hit a home run my first at bat. I hurt my knee playing basketball at Del Campbell with Jerry Manuel and, and his brothers. And I hit a home run my first at bat, and I didn't hit another one until July the 4th. And they were booing me and man and then Tommy was the third base coach then and Walter Austin that was his last year and so they operated on me that winter and then Tommy we traded for Rick Mundy we had also traded for Reggie Smith that that's that first summer and uh, only place left was was left field and they had traded Bill Buckner to the Cubs and Lasorda told the world that you know that I was his left fielder and I hit like 240 with with four home runs and you know, I was a left fielder, and I hit 30 home runs that year. We went to the World Series, and I was MVP of the first playoff, that, well, first playoff MVP. And so, you know, Tommy stuck his neck out for me. And that's what I don't see today is that a lot of managers and, and coaches and front office people don't really want to stick their neck out. They want the sure shot. But Tommy saw and knew that I could play and showed confidence in me. You know, even though nobody else in the whole world wanted to show that confidence, and then I ended up being on the All Dodger team because because of the opportunity that he gave me and confidence that he showed in me. So I'll be ever you know forever thankful to you know to Tommy for that, and that's that's how I try to be with my players, and that's what he taught me that hey man, if you believe in somebody or you believe in something, then. You can't be afraid to stick your neck out for them. You and I have talked about this in the past. You won the World Series in 81. I thought 78, you win the first two games at home. You go back to Yankee yep. Stadium. I never thought I never thought being a Yankee fan in a million years that the Yankees would win four in a row. But you and I have talked, and uh, I've watched a lot of baseball, but not nearly as much as you. I mean, I'm not in the same stratosphere. But that, yep. that game three, four, and five at Yankee Stadium, I still to this day consider that the best third base I've ever seen play. Greg Nettles, I thought, turned around the series. Well, me too. I mean, and see, we didn't think that anybody could beat us four in a row because we hadn't lost a series in Dodger Stadium the whole year. You know that? And so we went to New York. We won the first two games. We just knew we were going to win two out of three and win the championship and stay in L.A. and just go right to your house. Sure. And, man, they came out to L.A. They beat us three in a row. And then we had to fly all the way back to New York to lose the fourth in a row, and that was the longest flight that that I've ever experienced in my life. We got home. We didn't want to – I mean, nobody went out. I bet I didn't leave my house for two weeks. Wow. Because, you, I mean, we felt so ashamed 
uh, you know, after winning the first two games in the Yankees, and then we got back in 81, I'm like, oh, no, here we are playing these Yankees again. And, see, I really didn't like the Yankees because the Yankees used to beat the Dodgers when I was a kid. And then, <laughs> right. and, then, and, and then now that I'm a man, they still beat me. You know what I'm saying? So um, I didn't know if we wanted to see the Yankees, but, hey, man, uh, you know, they went up on us on that series, and we came back and beat them. And uh, the thing about Yankee fans, I, I, I love them and I respect them, but they're greedy because, see, I run into Yankee fans, and they all they can talk about is the fact that we beat them in 81, but it don't count that they beat us in 77 and 78. <laughs> I mean, you, it's, like, right. it's like, man, you can't beat us all the time. You know what I mean? Right. Don't they use – I guess that's don't the they, Yankee way. Yeah, wasn't 81 the uh, shortened season? Isn't that what they use that as an excuse, Yankee fans, right? They don't want to give you credit. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's funny. Dusty, uh, that's true. That is true. Uh, but hey, man, you got the hardware and you got the ring. That's all that matters. Yep. Twenty, yep. you know, it's amazing. During the pandemic, when it was really at its height, well, the first the first wave in in the spring, MLB Network had a lot of the uh, the old games on, and they had a. Yep. I, I watched a couple of those Yankee Dodger World Series from '77 and '78. Dusty, man, you were felt, man. Could you run? You're taking the extra base. You're doing everything out there. I forgot how damn good you were, Dusty. That was fun watching you. Well, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Well, at that time when you were watching me, I couldn't run because I had a bad leg. I yeah. mean, I could still run. I could still run. <laughs> but I couldn't run like, you know, like I could when I first, you know, before I hurt my leg playing basketball. And, you know, that, that kind of plagued me my last 10 years. But, you know, I, I, I tried to pride myself in not having any weaknesses and trying to be a full-fetched player, which I try to convey to the players now. Just don't be a one-way player. Don't just be a DH. Just don't be a glove. Just, uh, you know, try to try to enhance your strengths and then, and then, and then work on your weaknesses because, you know, you want to be a full-fledged player. And I see a lot of these. I go to my son's games for, for a number of years whenever I could make them. And, and, you know, I hate to see these kids as DHs, a DH and at 12 years old or 18 or whatever. Try to get a position and take pride in, in being a complete player. And I know everybody can't be, but you could, everybody can at least be better and work on it to try to be as complete as possible. You know, something else that really jumped to my mind when I was watching those games from that era was how the game was played. It's so different now. And you have to yep. adapt because, listen, you've been in a manager for 23 years, and I'm thinking about, gee, how much the game has changed just since you've mm-hmm. been a big league manager. And, you know, after the World Series this year, A-Rod went on Fox and said Sabermetrics is killing the game of baseball. You know, we talked about Kevin Cash uh, taking out mm-hmm. Snell. You left Granky in. So I wanted to ask you as a manager now, feel – as opposed to going by the book, put me in a dugout and and well, how you manage those crucial situations. Well, you know, some of us on field. I mean, you know, and and I don't know if whoever wrote the book. I've never seen the book. Number two, and, <laughs> right? But but the thing about it is, you know, we've always gone on on numbers. You know, I just didn't have a name for it. You know what I mean? And, you know, we had a lefty-righty matchup. We had first batter efficiency. We had who hits in the double plays, who hits ground balls versus fly balls. And you manage and, and do things accordingly. It just that it's gone so far the other way that, I mean, they, they say it's on gut, it's on field, but some of it's on, on 
on instinct, some of it's on your eyes. I think that's what's been lost. I mean, you know, who's swinging good? Who's swinging poorly? Who's who's afraid? You know, who's who's the guy that you want up to play in this situation? Because I've been I've been around some players that the best player doesn't always want to be up there in that situation. You know what I mean? I mean, he was just given the the most ability by the Lord, but this other guy is like young Dave about to fight. You know, Goliath, I mean, this guy is the bold guy that's not afraid. So you try to use a combination of, of everything, your experience, the numbers. I mean, sometimes the numbers don't lie, and sometimes the numbers do lie. And so it's just it's a combination feeling, but no matter what, the players have to play. I mean, if they do the job and try to put them in a position to succeed, and they do the job, you look like a genius. And if they don't do the job, then then you get the credit for being the dunce. That's and right. So it, it it boils down to, you know, just like you. I, I mean, how many times, how many games have you worked? You know, if a guy had hit a layup or hit a three pointer or or, or or hit a free throw, it changed the whole game. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. so the whole thing it depends. It's still a people's game that you try to use the numbers to round out things. But hey, man. You know, there are no absolutes in anything, so you just got to accept that. Hey, your dad was the biggest Kings fan I knew, and uh, <laughs> I, 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 rem- I remember talking to him many, many times, Game 7 yeah. at home, going to, trying to get to the NBA Finals, and you you talk about the little things. In that Game 7 overtime loss to the Lakers, Dusty, the Kings missed 14 free throws, and I know that stuck. Ooh. Yeah, think about that for a minute. 14 missed free I throws. I did not know that. Yep. 14. Yeah, on your home oh, floor yeah. in Game 7, 14 missed free throws. Yeah, well, you know, my dad went to every game. Yes, he and, did. You know, like I was in the embassy room, I think, and I saw my name up on this TV, and I was like, what, what, what's my name doing up there? It was like the original 15 season ticket holders in alphabetical order, I think, from 85. Sure. Is, is 85. That yes, yeah. it is. Yes, it so, is. In the old Arco. I've been giving those kings my money since 1985, every year. And and my dad, he was the biggest Kings fan. He's like, oh, son. You know, he loved Reggie Theus, you know. Sure. I mean, he loved Otis Thorpe. I mean, he was like, oh, son. Man, we got a number one draft choice. I said, who we got, Dad? He goes, man, we got Joe Klein. (laughs) Next year. (laughs) That's funny. And he goes, oh, yeah, we got Bobby Hurley. And then we got Otis Thorpe. We got this guy. We got that guy. And. Well, I think he would love watching Darren Fox play. Oh boy, would he you ever? I mean? Yes, he oh, would. If my dad was still alive, so I think I think the Kings kept kept him alive probably another four or five years just by him because that was his only release going to the games. I mean, you saw me; I I rarely went, but my dad went every all game. the time, and I yep. every game. Yep, and, and he'd get there. The Kings uh, treat him so good; he'd get there. For the shoot around, I think he'd get there yep. five o'clock. He, hey, he five got o'clock. there. He got there before I got there. He was there before I, I was. That. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. No. Oh, yeah. And I, they all love my dad, so I just gotta love you, Dad. Got to thank the players for and the organization for taking such great care of my dad. What a what a great man. You know, the last time I saw you was at a Kings game, and it was before mm-hmm. you got the job where you are now. Did you ever think in your wildest dreams you'd be managing a team in your seventies? And and what what take me back to that process? You're sitting there, and all of a sudden, boom! 
The Astros become a possibility. They were a mess because of everything that happened. Right. What was that experience like? Because you did it. I don't want to say you did your best job ever because I don't. I can't remember all of your 23 yeah. years. But you did, Dusty, you know, you did an unbelievable job at that team last year. Well, I was trying to get 2,000 victories, you know, and I had missed six out of the last, like, 12 years or something like that, you know, I'd have had 2000 a long time ago, you know, every time I'd, I'd lose a job for whatever reason, which I never could figure out. I had an interview for Philadelphia and I thought I'd have had a heck of an interview. I thought, I thought I was in there, you know, two years, I need 130 something game games, I think, or 150, 60. I don't know what it was for 2000 and that I was going to call it quits. And so I didn't, I didn't get the job. So I thought it was, I thought I was over. I said, okay, man, I guess the Lord don't want me to get it. Then the Houston job came available and they called me. And so, like I said, most of my life has been a situation where, where I I didn't really seek things that I was chosen, even though I was prepared, whether physically, mentally, or whatever it was, you know, or spiritually for when I got the call, but I had, I had turned it off because, uh, you know, I was like, okay, I don't want to be out here past a certain age, but it was like, it was exhilarating. And, and my son, you know, he told me, he said, dad, maybe, you know, well, not maybe he said everything for a reason. I'm like, well, here's this kid at 21 years old talking to me. Like I should be talking to him. You know what I mean? Right, sure. And he goes, dad, everything for a reason. And I said, okay, son. I says, what do you think? I should I take it? And my wife says, do you want it? And I said, well, they got a good team because most of the teams that I inherited other than Washington were last or next to the last team. And then I had to develop them. And so the last two jobs that I've had, they had good talent, even though this was, I mean, this was, (laughs) it was a trying situation. Sure was. I mean, and I sort of think about how bad it could have been had there been fans in the stands, even though we missed fans in the stands. And I heard Aaron Rodgers say that the other day yes. about, you know, how he missed fans in the stands. Yeah, but I missed them, but I missed that booing and hissing that, <laughs> that, that we got right. <laughs> in, yep. in spring training. Cause man, that was hell in spring training. And I saw how it affected some of the guys and, you know, I mean, these guys are still humans and they're, and they're, you know, they got sensitivities and strengths like everybody else. What was your, Biggest trepidation or the the biggest, I don't want to say obstacle, but the, the one thing that, was it Darren? Was it your son, Darren? Or was it that, that made you say, okay, you know what, I, I can I can do this here in Houston? Well, I mean, I never had any doubt that I could do it. You know, the only doubt I had is do I want to do it? Mm-hmm. And, and I had some other things going, my Baker family wine. I had the Baker energy team that I had started the, the, the years I was out of the game. And, you know, did I want to get back on that packing and unpacking again? But, you know, the thrill of the game is is the same, you know. And, you know, I'd had a stroke seven years ago. I had prostate cancer 20, almost 20 years ago now. So, you know, you're wondering about, you know, is your health going to make it? You know, and I didn't want to start something that that I couldn't, that I couldn't continue. But I've learned how to, you know, take care of myself now, try not to take games back to your rooms or try not to, you know, open a bottle in your room and celebrate after a great victory and and then, you know, lament after a a bad loss. And that equals drinking every night, you know. Sure. No no good. Right. (laughs) Yeah, no good. No good. So, you know, you learn over a period of time 
you know, how to let things roll off your back and, you know, how to, uh, you know, not let things bother you, especially those that are out of your control. Now, a lot of that I'm talking about is easier said than done because, you know, sometimes those victories uh, or the, no, sometimes those losses still wake you up at night. But, you know, that's what keeps you going. And I talked my dad into retiring one time and he almost died and he went back to work part time and then he lived another 10 years. So sure. that's something that and, and he died of dementia. So that's something else that's on my mind to try to try to keep my mind sharp and on a, on a daily basis, which which helps me. Dusty, in the NBA over the last several years, the one thing I really noticed the millennials and the way the coaches have to coach them, they almost have to be almost like a father figure. The the drill sergeant routine just doesn't seem to work anymore in pro sports. You keep getting older. The players keep staying the same age. Have you had to change yeah. at all the way you've managed the, in, the, in the relationships with players? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, my son's helped me, you know. And so, you know, being around his guys, I mean, and seeing, you know, from the time I was in the Marines to – you know, I've had some coaches that have the, the most valuable guys that I've had are those that taught me how not to be versus those that have taught me to be, you know, because some of them, some of them have taught me how not to be, which is, which is very important. But you try to maintain, you know, your old morals and ideas, but present them in a new way. Because back in my day, you know, negative motivation was 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 one of the key ways to to motivate somebody. You know, you tell them, uh, you know, you're not any good, or you know, you can't do this. And uh, back back then, we'd say, hey man, I'll show you, and then you do everything you could to show them, and then they get their end result. But nowadays, you can't use that negative motivation. You can't use that fear. You gotta, you know, you can't lie to these. I mean, these guys. I, I mean, these guys are are pretty smart, but at the same time. You got to treat them like men. You can't baby them, but you got to understand that they're that they're young. So it's it's really kind of a contradiction on society and and how it is. But hey, I mean, you have to adjust. And I think that they really really like having boundaries and 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 certain amount of discipline, as long as it's not too too much. Dusty, do you see yourself in your son when you watch him play? Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, quite a bit. He's smarter than me, you know what I mean, and he and he's more advanced than I was at that at that age. You know, we were about the same size. That's the people. That's what I try to tell the scouts now. I mean, this guy's going to get bigger and stronger. He's a late developer, and you know, a lot of the scouts don't use you know the foresight of what a player may be. You know, may end up. It seems like we all want the end result, LeBron James type guy out of high school and those guys are very few and far between you know I mean those guys are men child I remember watching LeBron James first game sure at, at Arco Arena you know that was his first game right sure uh, was Grant? yes it was yeah and and you knew he was going to be great you knew you could watch him for five minutes and you're like oh boy this guy's going to be yeah. great yep yeah, he's 18 years old. Yep. I mean, shoot, he couldn't even go to he couldn't even go in a bar. No, <laughs> you know he had to have, he had to have right right like babysitter. <laughs> right. And and you know one of my most prized possessions at at the house, you know, because I was sitting next to the lady that was in charge of seeing after him, and I didn't know it, and she recognized me, and so she ended up sending me a LeBron James jersey. Wow. That that I received in the mail uh, like a couple weeks later. Nope. And Wow. Yeah. And so that, that, lo and behold, that's my son's favorite 
I mean, ball player, you know? So, I mean, basketball player. That's so, amazing. You know, yeah. Yeah. And, and he's gone. We've gone to see LeBron like three times. One And one time, I don't think he came out. And another time, he wasn't. He didn't come to town. I guess he got hurt in Golden State before they came here. And another time, he didn't play or something, something happened. Jeez, that's bad so, luck right there. Three times you didn't I get know. a chance to see him play. <laughs> well, that's how, that's how it was for, for us going to uh, um, Memorial Auditorium downtown. We went to see Sly and the Family Stone three times, and he didn't show. Come we went to on. See James Brown. Come on. No, I swear. Oh, come on. Yeah, we, we went to go see James Brown, and wow. he didn't show three times. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> Man, that's hard to believe. That is really hard yeah. to believe. Hey, uh, <laughs> uh, final thing for you. Yep. Other other than your dad, other than a family member, is there one individual that had the biggest impact on your life as an athlete? Um, yeah, probably my my uh, high school coach, Miss McCullough, because uh, he he my parents got divorced, you know, and at the time, you know, he knew something was wrong, and he taught me to this day to recognize mood changes and attitude changes in a person to, to find out what's wrong without prying. So I've, I've had Al Adels that I met at 16 years old at Squaw Valley Warriors basketball camp when I was, I was the MVP of that camp. And, you know, we remained friends all these years. And also the great Bill Walsh that took me under his wing when I was a coach with the Giants prior to me being the manager. And you should, I used to go by his house and he had, you know, like a blackboard or that, you know, he explained things about life and balance and all that stuff. And, and he actually gave me his, his Bible uh, was, it was, a, it was all these flashcards and all these different categories on, on how he started the San Francisco 49ers when nobody, when he was a uh, GM and head coach and nobody wanted the job. How about that? So, wow. Oh yeah. So I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll I'll bring them out, and some of these things, you know, still apply. Wow, what a treat! I, I can't thank you enough for joining me. Uh, it's so uh, awesome to connect, and you'll be back uh, on the field before you know it. Uh, we wish you the best, yep. and again, thank you so much, Dusty. It's greatly appreciated. Uh, no problem, Gay Grant. You got to tell me. I've been knowing you for 20 years. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So, <laughs> all right. Good luck to you hey. too, man. Okay. Thank you, Dusty. How awesome was that? That's why I love doing podcasts. Uh, that was that was a great 35-minute conversation with Dusty Baker. Just phenomenal. I hope you enjoyed that uh, as much as I did. Hey, I want to introduce you to the newest sponsor of If You Don't Like That. We are now brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Now, the Manscaped engineering team has perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Now, their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. And folks, when I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower. And one of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. And they've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And folks, don't forget about the charging stand. Show your mark. 
power off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. And if you're listening right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code NAPES, N-A-P-E-S, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code NAPES, N-A-P-E-S. Your balls. Well, thank you. Now time for crowd question. Go to crowdquestion.com. Sign up. Easy to do. It only takes about a minute. And if you ask a question, I may very well answer it right here on the podcast. From John, did the Jets just make a mistake winning the game? I did this on my rant yesterday. The players don't care about draft picks. They don't care. They don't care who the quarterback is. That's not what they're out there playing for. They're out there, believe it or not, even though they hadn't won a game, they're playing to win the game. So did they make a mistake? It depends how you define mistake. Would it have been better if they had lost? Yeah, it would have been better. But mistake, again, the players don't feel like they made a mistake. They're out there to win the game. This from Sam. How long do you think it will take for the Rockets to get rid of Harden? If the Rockets start off poorly and Harden is interfering with that process in other words if it's apparent that he doesn't want to be there and it's hurting the product on the floor then um, maybe they move him sooner than later I don't I don't think he's easy to move I mean it's going to take uh, it's going to take quite a deal it's going to take quite a deal for James Harden that's for sure All right, Bobby, NBA GMs voted Bradley Beal the second best shooting guard in the league. Agree or disagree? Well, first of all, James Harden would be number one. If Klay Thompson is healthy, he would be two. Uh, To me, I would take Donovan Mitchell. I like his game. Uh, But Bradley Beal will be no worse than fourth on my list. I don't know if I would have him two. Might have him three. You know, if you take Thompson out of the equation, probably would have him three. All right, from Dalton, do you think that dads in pro sports like LeVar Ball are going to become more common in the future? No, I don't, because the pro sports teams don't allow the dads that type of accessibility. In other words, they kind of draw the line. And so maybe in the background, but not like LeVar Ball. I don't see that happening. Absolutely not. Justin wants to know, what are the odds we have a full 162-game MLB season this coming year. I think it's pretty good because I think as we get closer to the spring, and again, I'm guessing here, but I would think that the players will all be vaccinated. And if not all, the vast majority. And if you go by the experts, you know, by, by June, all right, we should have, you know, a fairly large percentage of the population vaccinated. Now, I don't know how that would affect fans going into the games. That part I don't know, but I could see them playing 162 games this year. Absolutely. And if they start a little bit later, then that could be an issue because you can, you know, you, you can't move the World Series back too much more than it is if you're playing in a cold weather city. But I, I would say they're going to do it. I, I would think they're going to get 162. And you saw hockey's reducing their schedule. You know, they're going to start playing in a couple of weeks. But uh, I could see 162. If not 162, I bet you it's at least 130 games. All right, Corey, how do you like the idea of the Niners trying to trade for someone like Matt Stafford? I think Stafford would be very good. Than it, but what you're asking, though, in that question is you've given up on Jimmy Garoppolo, correct? 
And I like Garoppolo when he plays. I mean, he had the team one quarter away from winning the Super Bowl. You know, I know we missed George Kittle on a couple of throws, and he'd like to have those back, and I get that. But he's pretty darn good for that team last year, and I know the defense was the best in football. I think Stafford on a good team uh, could be very, very effective. That's not Detroit, obviously. But are you giving up on Jimmy Garoppolo? Because if you're asking me about Matt Stafford, that would tell me yes. How much better is Matt Stafford than Garoppolo? That's the question I would uh, have back to you. Court wants to know, Rudy Gobert just got the biggest contract for a big man at five years, $205 million. Is he overpaid? I don't think so. I love Rudy Gobert. I think he changes the game. I think the Jazz are a much, much better team when he's on the floor. I mean, they're all overpaid. So, yeah, I mean, of course he's overpaid. But, uh, no, I, you take Rudy Gobert off the Jazz – and they're just another team. Mark wants to know, do you like watching the Olympics? And if so, what are your favorite events to watch? I do love watching the Olympics. I really do. I like watching the Winter Olympics. I love ski jumping. I love the downhill. I love that uh, in, the, in the Summer Olympics. You know, I do like the swimming. I like the track and field. You know, I like the gymnastics. You know, I like a lot of the, the events. So, yeah, I do watch the Olympics quite a bit. I'm a big fan of the Olympics. Again, go to crowdquestion.com. Sign up. It's easy to do. Ask me a question. And hopefully I'll answer it right here on the podcast. It's time for Rant. 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 Today's rant is brought to you by New Works Plumbing. New Works Plumbing for all of your plumbing needs and repairs. They have expert technicians available for you 24-7 for all of your plumbing needs. Just go online, N-E-W. WRX, that's newworksplumbing.com for all of your plumbing needs and repairs. Again, that's newworksplumbing, N-E-W-W-R-X-plumbing.com. All right, there's been a lot of talk the last two days about the college football playoff format, the four teams, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Ohio State. And I did my rant on this, all right? I understand if you're Cincinnati, if you're A&M. No, you can't please everyone. And you know the system is flawed before the season even begins and you had the COVID on top of everything else. So this year has been a nightmare, okay? But the team that really, in my opinion, has a right to bitch, Army, they went 9-2. and They're supposed to be playing this weekend in the Independence Bowl. But you know what? They're not playing. You want to know why? Because they're supposed to play a Pac-12 school and the Pac-12 doesn't want to play. So here's Army, 9-2. and two. They want to play one more football game, and there aren't any takers out there. So you know what Army's doing? They're practicing anyway because of COVID. You know, maybe a team is a, doesn't, doesn't have enough players, and they've got to drop out. And Army's like, here we are. We're ready to go. Good for Army, and shame on the bowl system, and shame on the Pac-12 schools. It's just too bad. It really is. You know, we're talking about these seniors, these cadets that are going to, you know, fight for our country and put their lives on the line. And college football can't find a freaking bowl and an opponent for Army, yeah, they're contractually obligated, okay, to go to the Independence Bowl in Shreveport. But you're telling me there's not another school out there that they can find to play Army? Give Army a chance to play one more football game, would you please? It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you can bitch all you want if you're Cincinnati and A&M. But to me, the, the team that's got the biggest complaint right now, Army. And I got my fingers crossed for them that they're going to be able to get one more football game in. Keep practicing, guys. Hopefully it happens. That's a travesty. That really is. That's an absolute travesty. And that's my rant for today. Hey, do me a favor. Subscribe. Leave a comment. And don't forget about my rants on YouTube. The channel is 
if you don't like that with Grant Napier as well. And again, if you leave a comment on YouTube, I do my best to get back to everyone. I really hope you enjoyed today's podcast as much as I did with Dusty Baker. I also, again, want to thank our new sponsor, Manscaped. And thank you, most of all, for finding If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier.